Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It is said nature abhors a vacuum, and in regard to vaping regulations in Canada, this maxim appears to hold true. In the wake of the teen vaping epidemic and concern over the so-called vaping-related lung illness, provincial governments across the country have taken matters into their own hands by issuing a patchwork of new vaping restrictions intended to fill regulatory gaps left open by Health Canada. The B.C. provincial government is the latest to drop a slew of new restrictions that are certain to change the way vaping products are produced, sold, and consumed in the province. Joining us today, and by a phoner is what they call it, to do a deep dive on the regulations and to provide analysis is Daryl Tempest, the Canadian Vaping Association's Executive Director and Lead Advocate. Daryl, thanks for coming back on RegWatch. Thank you so much for having me, Brent. Oh, no, it's great. And obviously, a lot has been going on in terms of CVA, I, from what I understand, working at least with the BC provincial government on these regs, could you fill um, our audience in on that a little bit more? So uh, when the government first came out with their intention paper, uh, which is similar to what we've seen at a federal level, uh, they had specific agenda items that they wanted to uh, be able to accomplish. So they had a strategy of what they thought would address the youth uptake issue. Um, and hadn't given a ton of thought into how that was going to impact the industry. So actually, government reached out um, in BC to ask how those uh, that 10-point plan that they put forth uh, originally was going to impact industry, and they've been very responsive and have taken in a lot of information um, about what standardization looks like in the industry and how that should be applied to their vision of what um, uh, regulation should look like for vaping products. So when CVA looked at the regulations that dropped on Monday, what was your first response? The concern for many was that if the 10-point plan was you know, implemented the way that it was proposed, it could have been an industry killer. Well, it would have been. Well, the original one would have been for sure. Um, and not only did we were were we able to present at uh, uh, at the level of the health minister, but also uh, we were able to put a lot of information into the bureaucracy, which I think is an industry. You know, everyone sees the health minister; they're the ones on TV and and are making the announcements. But the bureaucracy is critically important because they do a lot of the legwork that goes into regulations, and they're the ones who actually try to pull together things like label restrictions or um, information on tank size, uh, for uh, for example. So as we move forward and we saw what came out on um, on Monday, uh, some of the things that we saw that they really took our uh, the industry's opinion on, uh, specifically around the CVA, was the 10 milliliter bottle to 30 milliliter bottles, understanding that the there is no market for 10 milliliter bottles. And the theory of the thought process that went into that certainly wouldn't achieve what they were looking for because, you know, they were trying to say, we don't want this to be inexpensive for youth. And then, uh, you know, putting it in a product that, in a bottle size that's so tiny that it would have the least amount of cost. Right. So I, I they really took a lot of pragmatic understanding there. I think where they're, they're going here, Brent, is, and I think there's still lots of opportunity for improvement as we move forward because they're really building this on the UK model 
um, and we're still helping them understand the significant differences between the UK model and the Canadian model and how the federal regulations also uh, overlay with with, uh, with provincial regulations. So walk us through the key things that you think were decent in terms of the restrictions. I, well, first and foremost, and we've talked about this a lot, um, the, the biggest change in the market that had Canadians and Canadian politicians concerned about vaping was when we are going through youth uptake. So, and I know you're doing a show tomorrow to talk about a lot of the fundamental flaws um, in regards to uh, Hammond's report. And you and I have both talked about the complete joke of the uh, youth uptake study in Nova Scotia. But if you kind of move forward from that, what we do like is that this wasn't meant to be advertised like crazy on Hockey Night in Canada and on billboards and and every corner store. This was tailored for uh, 5 million Canadian smokers. So aligning with the federal government on that is we think every province should do and every province has followed that. the what I also liked is the fact that the minister identified and only the second minister um, in Canada so far that's identified um, vaping as a harm reduction tool. Right. right? So and, and that's Brent, you've been covering this a long time. Getting politicians to publicly recognize vaping as a harm reduction tool is a massive win for the industry. Do you think the health ministers, you know, the actual regulations, though, and the approach match, uh, you know, that statement in terms of harm reduction, or is it just fluff? And I think that's a fair question. I know it's a fair question. So I'm going to take you back. Um, And as you know, I I have the privilege to be able to represent the Canadian Vaping Association, its board and its members uh, with every government. Right. And I think you and I have talked about this a few times. The government right now is not having a conversation about harm reduction. It's all about youth uptake. Right. That's all they that that's all they want to talk about. And and you and I have covered that at at length. What I think here is that when the industry started to develop, it developed without regulation. So if you talk about bottle size and um, uh, vaping devices and 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 all of these items. It grew really organically, but it, the industry also wanted acceptance from the federal government to ensure that they weren't operating in the gray. With that becomes a responsibility to start to work with regulators, and they're going to have very different ideas than the industry norms. So, for example, where we saw here was um, when we made the case about um, 30 mil, 60 mil, and 120 mil bottles, they agreed that 10 mil bottles don't follow uh, any industry practice, but there's no way I could convince them that consumers needed 60 or 120 mil bottles for harm reduction. Buy two bottles. Well, and explain their thinking for us, because you're the, you're the only one that's got that kind of closeness to it like how could they not understand that because if you're if you're an old school vapor you're not using uh salt you know you 
do blow through 120 pretty quick. I, I, I would agree with that. I don't think that the, when, when we go to data points, that's where they're looking, right? Um, that we need to be able to show that in terms of supporting harm reduction, that there's a reason that someone needs 120 mil bottle versus 30, right? Right. What, where we really focused was they, the, in Brent, you and I talked in November when we started, when we walked through the door, it was a full flavor ban, 10 mil bottles and, um, and, and no marketing. And no marketing. So, so, and just for the sake of, you know, making sure we do this up front. So the 10 mil bottles that's squeaked into 30, which, you know, as a vapor myself here in British Columbia, thank you for the 30 because (laughs) it's doable certainly with, um, with, if you're, you know, vaping salt. Uh, But then let's leave the nicotine conversation uh, elsewhere. So, I mean, so if, it, if it's 30 and people can live with that, I mean, obviously it's going to cost people more because you don't have the economies of scale buying, you know, larger bottles worth. But, you know, that said, 10 is an industry killer. So great. So explain to our viewers the, the, the detente on flavors. I'm sorry, you broke up there for a sec. The detente of flavors? That's right, exactly, because there's been a detente that has been reached, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's assuming okay. that one Thank side you. has any has any say in the matter, which I'm not certain we do. But, yeah, no. you know, there, there was definitely something has happened with flavors. Explain that uh, for our audience. So, and I'm going to do this in, in two parts. So, I hear a lot from uh, concerned consumers and retailers and manufacturers uh, about this perception that we negotiate with government we advocate with government right that's all you can do is advocate that we don't have a magic stick where if we disagree with what they're saying um we have only one option which is legal battles which as we've seen in quebec can take anywhere from three to four years and cost anywhere from three hundred thousand to uh to five hundred thousand at provincial level and well over a million dollars Mm-hmm. at a federal level okay so let's sit that uh there and dig into more of the point so originally the thought process from the the provincial government was that uh that flavors were attracting youth and had no impact on the success rates for conversion from uh, smoking combustible tobacco to vaping after a great deal of conversation with with many representatives at different levels of uh, the government in BC, uh, they have understood that access to flavors is critical for harm reduction and for um, conversion of smokers to vapors. Right. And that allowing this, and we saw this in Ontario, Brent, as you know, um, that these should be an adult-only access environment. Therefore, if you look at future developing regulations, we're going to have to put in things like um, ID scanners and 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 uh, online tools to make sure that youth don't get access. Um, because it's not just about vapors; we fit within society as a larger context. So, right now, I you know, and I'm not going to speak for the minister, but I have every confidence that um, uh, that flavors within that adult only uh access environment are going to continue 
they're building off of models that we've seen in, in Ontario specifically. And I'll, I'll always give Ontario a ton of uh, um, uh, applause. Yeah. Yeah. For, for how they've done it, because where they um, uh, where they went through is that they were the first ones to register product babe shops. And even better was that they were able to put that through what they call their the local health integration network or the lens. And what happens in those lens is that now you are working with health officials. Right. So you can see how vaping is now starting to finally, after uh, two years of just absolute attacks, being able to shift back to what we are, which is a harm reduction tool in the health field. Right. Right. So obviously, uh, let me just uh, quickly point out, Daryl, that within that realm, it's so important then the frontline healthcare workers, the, the frontline public health workers are on board so it sounds like there's been movement in ontario do you think there's movement in bc because bc seems to be you know pretty stringent uh in terms of their kind of anti-vaping attitude at the public health level i i would say at the public health level we still have a ton of work to do it's it it's been very interesting to understand and watch how elected officials have got there so much faster than public health officials. So our, we have far more partners in uh, elected seats across this country and in British Columbia than we do in the public health realm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So when you, when you put Ontario and BC up against each other, you know, I'm assuming Ontario is the better set of regulations. It's certainly. And, and and one of the things, and it's it's a misconception. So, uh, you know, we talk a lot about um, about data points, and and you know, if I could paint a picture for the audience, is that uh, uh, so little research is done on the core drivers of youth vaping. It, it's mostly just uh, made up statistics of informal conversations. On the other side, there's been very little research done to really drive home why flavors are so important. And Brad, you and I have talked about the limbic system before, but there's no pure studies on that in terms of, and we all know that flavors are the key, but there's no set of peer reviewed studies that really drive that home in a mm-hmm. way that government has accepted it, right? So mm-hmm. as we kind of move forward, what we said, and we've said this to um, every government across Canada, in our opinion, Ontario has the best um, platform because you still have high nicotine levels available for heavy smokers. But we know about uh, what we know about product vape shops is that uh, nicotine reduction is always part of their client regime. It's not; they don't want people um, on fifty-nine milligrams, and it's um, it can be quite harsh sometimes i know when i used to vape high nicotine products i was like you know i get like a headache and and things like that but i think more importantly is that um if you go back to before 2018 and i've seen a ton of comments brent out in uh you know in in facebook and twitter um that said like you know in 2017 and 2016 and 2015 i didn't sell anything over 24 right 
right? And that's and you you know last year uh, Sam and I did our uh, national tour, and Sam is the president of the Vaping Association. For those who don't know him, yeah, and he was just and, on the show last week. If you recall. oh, that's right, he was just on the show. Yeah, thank you. So um, we went to every province and did anywhere between one to two uh, industry meetings in every major city. And when I asked people who sold anything over 20 milligrams per milliliter prior to 2017, in all those meetings, I had two people raise their hands. Two. Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a bit uncertain on how to follow that because I do have the personal experience myself of being a former smoker and a vapor. And, you know, for me, I mean, all I buy is, you know, is 48 or 50 milligram salt here in British Columbia at like my home vape shop that saved my life. And now I have not actually made a phone call to them yet because, you know, quite frankly, it's been, it, this is a sad thing because of the nicotine issue. It actually, I'm, this regulation cuts my nicotine in half. And so the idea could be as well, you know, maybe you shouldn't be using that much nicotine, but you know, that's what I use. And but here, here's the concern though, Brent, for me, because, and, and I'm, I, I hear you. I absolutely hear you. And that's why the Ontario model, it really is the best model. But here's the the, the big thing I think that we faced, right? If it's, if it's not nicotine levels for the vast majority, then it's flavors. And right. everyone turned on flavors. And if the industry nationally in Canada loses flavors, the conversion rate for those millions of of, uh, of smokers out there will be greatly impacted. So we are going back to British Columbia um, to ask that we can get studies done on how nicotine um, concentration levels can help from harm reduction. So we can move those products like like, like we did in Ontario into those adult environments and reintroduce them you know if that takes four months or six months i think we're on a long journey right and that and what's going to happen is a lot of reformed um smokers such as yourself are going to be forced to buy online or you know buy from a different province i i understand that it's certainly not convenient um and you have to plan your uh uh product purchases a lot more um it's not something we suggested we what we say is there's only two data points and the u.s was really a big driver for this right you you put a bunch of high nicotine products across 150,000 stores and with no education or no understanding and youth uptake went nuts down there like it really did go nuts and then well, you look has at it ever UK. been, has the data point on that, and excuse me for interrupting, because I haven't actually heard this, whether or not, because we know that it's, it's the jewel, uh, or was the jewel, and other similar products that really were the problem. I've not heard that it was like, you know, just a regular salt in an open system, or do I have that wrong? It, is there data points out there that says open systems using high nick, you know, salt that's bought at a at a you know specialty vape shop or something like that has been the problem or was it not the closed systems no and and, and i like i agree with you in, you know in, you try to stay away from brand specific for the sure. most part but let's Sorry. call a space spade right jewel is <laughs> they called it jeweling it was it had the largest market share 
Um, and it was the one that was uh, absolutely took over the social uh, media uh, uh, pathway, right? Mm-hmm. It's also what politicians understand. So if you look at where we stood in October of last year, which was a absolute nightmare scenario, until the federal election, vaping was the only conversation nationally. And even through COVID, the second trending conversation nationally is still vaping to this day. But what I'm starting to hear, and as we're turning corners, right? I did an interview in Kamloops where I had the, um, uh, the, the gentleman who was interviewing me saying, a valley was not nicotine product. Sorry, vape about, shops are not. Right, a valley was not nicotine products. Vaping is not jewel, and it is harm reduction. I did that same interview four months ago, where they asked me why I'm trying to addict kids to nicotine. Right, right. So we're it, it's we it's going. We're rebuilding the industry, right? And and that's where where my earlier comments were, was we were a cottage industry before. We had access to certain products and, and we knew certain amounts. Um, so, you know, 30 mils, 60 mils, why wasn't it 50 mils and 70 mils, right? It's because that's what the industry started to standardize around. Government is going to standardize us now that we're a regulated product, right? But where I see the opportunities is where uh, specifically with BC, as they said, here's exactly what we're thinking about in the regs, but we need industry stakeholders to come in and help us finish them off which would never been a an opportunity before and the other thing like if you know if i look at a sort of broad picture i i think getting rid of zero milligram per milliliter is, um uh juice is asinine i like i, I truly do I, i've made that quite clear to the government um it makes no sense to me but we have to understand there's other stakeholders besides us. So what did the minister hear from a bunch of stakeholders at the youth level? Right. I like to blow clouds. I don't care about the nicotine, right? I like the flavor. I don't care about the nicotine. So as we walk through harm reduction, um, if you see the pathway for vaping long-term, is that we have to engage with um harm reduction specialists and get them on our side, which has still been a a massive struggle. We have to get um, uh, uh, clinicians and cancer experts um, who deal with uh, pulmonary lung disease on our side. And we need to continue to do what we're doing now. And it's my expectation of the the government of British Columbia and the federal government is that they have to back the real studies. So, you know, and not the garbage that we saw in Nova Scotia, because that is an absolute travesty of uh, misinforming your electorate and your citizenship, an absolute travesty. And I'm excited to see them in court to uh, to put that in front of a judge. No, and that I will certainly I mean, anytime I mean, it's so difficult to hold any of these researchers, even public health who make statements about vaping that we know are erroneous. How do you hold them account? So you know, any steps and moves that's being done to do that is very good. Um, 
Let's move back to a couple of more of the little, uh, not little, but issue issues stuff. I want to talk about packaging. After we do that, we're going to watch one of the CTV clips that was released on Monday and get, just get a sense of kind of the flavor, pardon the pun, in which that they use language to describe vaping. And here at the, when they're dropping the regs, ugh. So anyhow, so, but on packaging, um, so it appears to me that we're going to have plain packaging. So we know what that looks like on a pack of cigarettes. We know what it looks like in other cases. I mean, I mean, how are we talking like brown paper bag here kind of thing? Like, I mean, what are we, what are we going to see on the packaging? Well, and you're catching me early on in the process, Brent. Right? Okay. Um, what I can tell you now is that, uh, there are ongoing conversations for sure on how to make this work. Um, the CBA's position is quite clear uh, that the new federal guidelines are essentially uh, plain packaging, uh, that it's going to put um, a lot of BC companies to at a disadvantage, um, especially on the manufacturing side. But I think the key here is that uh, with the time, so originally the thought process, I think, from government was that they wanted all the regulations to go live. I think that the minister and the bureaucracy got together and have given time to have these conversations, to look at templates that make sense. So if I think about the how we went through our experience with labeling with the federal government, uh, there was very little input that they took from industry. I mean, we put a lot of effort into it. And almost every suggestion uh, that we had was either uh, completely ignored and none, none of it commented on. I see a difference in the BC government in terms of how they want to uh, approach this with uh, with the industry. They want a lot more input. They want to understand. Um, you got to remember, in their mind, uh, it's still, you know, all those poor players who put Oreos on their packaging and 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 butterflies and 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 unicorns and Brent, but, I, sure. I mean, ever, but that. Ever, but let me just interrupt. I mean, that is now years ago and totally taken care of on in the federal regs. So I mean, is, I mean, to me, that's astonishing that they would still be talking about gummy bears and stuff on and cotton candy flavors, you know, and and on the labels, right? Like, I mean, it's just we it, hear it. No, we hear it every. So perception is reality. Right. True. Right. I, I think that's one yeah. thing we can agree on. So I still hear it in almost every media interview I do to this day. I hear it from politicians to this day. So a, you know, an old mentor of mine who is a great uh, politician said, if you say it enough times so you can puke in your mouth, that's the first time your audience has heard it. So we're on the side that understands the file. Um, but, you know, it's, we continue to draft messaging targeted. So we email MLAs and MPs and media um, all week, every week. We've been doing it for months to educate them on the file. That doesn't mean that they read it, understand it, or agree. I mean, prejudice is prejudice, right? Bias is bias. You know, during COVID, uh, we'd ask for um, uh, vape shops to be um put forth as a uh, essential service to make sure that people had access to their problems or to the nicotine that they required not to return to smoking and like i have you know 40 or 50 responses of you've got to be kidding drop dead you don't have my support 
Yeah, that's tough. I mean, you know, all right. So I I need you to, I need you to kind of, so with packaging, you're saying potentially there might be some room to move there. Um, yep. You're just getting started on that. Um, just get, getting started. Get used to 30 mil bottles because there was some kind that's, of a. That's a done deal. That's a done deal. Um, good news that uh, for the majority of flavors, they're still safe at, um, you know, specialty retail, adult only stores. However, um, the nicotine is capped at 20 milligrams. At 20 milligrams. Yeah. And that, oh. that's not going to change either. And that's not going to change. No, not anytime soon. Okay. So, and let me just ask one question on that. And, you know, and I think we'll put nicotine to bed considering what happened in Ontario and what's now happened in BC. And we know that um, the health groups, you know, are really pushing uh, Alberta government to really follow BC's lead. They're really pumping BC up as, you know, something to emulate. And so if that's being the case, maybe that then nicotine cap uh, will happen in other provinces too as well. And we're talking about here the kind of the killer is that it's happening at the special retail. If in your mind, and I'm asking this from everybody here, um, did CVA make a mistake advocating for that cap or not being specific about that cap being solely for convenience? No. Um, the fight in this country was uh, over flavors. So, and I've been clear with everyone on this, is that what changed in the marketplace in 2018? What changed was high cap or high nick companies came in and splashed us around everywhere and ruined an industry. Right. Right. Our data points tell us in the UK, no youth uptake. And I get people are going to say, well, there's short fills and, and there's other products, but kids aren't going through that pathway. Right. They, they just don't have the same uh, upswing that we saw in the United States, period. Um, I think more importantly is if the vast majority of success in conversion for vapors, whether that worked for you or whether that worked for me, Brent, if you look at the sales data from across the country, year over year over year was three, six, and 12. Right. And if... If we lost, if we lose flavors at a national level, if we like uh, Nova Scotia, they're closing up shop, right? They got the worst. They got 20 milligram cap and no flavors. What happens if that happens nationally? Right. There is no data. And, and, and I put out a ton of press releases on this. 80 some percent of youth have identified through the CDC that they picked up vaping for curiosity. Oh, and by the way, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Right. <laughs> right. But when you're dealing with regulators and you're advocating, not negotiating, but when you're advocating, if they dig in their heels, the only pathway you have is legal and it takes years and it takes millions of dollars. Try to get that from an industry that shut down. So let me ask you about the patchwork process here then. And, you know, we've brought this up a lot, obviously, from day one, because we thought vaping was made legal. We thought that it was a national framework. It's federal. Everybody was working together. And of course, you know, we have this epidemic issue that popped up. 
and we can throw our hands up and say, you know, we just have to take that, you know, the, but there's going to be a disruption. But there's still from a political um, and economic and, you know, civil society point of view is that you have to trust um, science and you have to trust regulators. And when they create a brand new framework, I mean, if they create a brand new framework in order to make something legal and then just to be able to really unroll that framework within months after it becoming law and then not doing enough and then the provinces have off and they're all doing their own separate thing. I mean, this really is a mess. It doesn't matter in my mind with regard to this being about vaping. If you were to look at any emerging industry that you know is an important industry that's growing fast, saving lives, whatever it is, it's having an impact, um, positive mostly um, for, on the community, and the go federal government goes through a multi-year process costing millions of dollars to review the, the products, to review the science, to get all of the input in, to put together laws, make it law, and then to just have it all unravel months later. And I'm not, any product, any industry should be furious over something like this. And I understand direct legal challenges, but I mean, you, you, you know, we have to trust our regulators when they actually implement regulation that they're going to stick by it. Partially here, Health Canada has not stood by their assessment of the science. They've just been quiet. I, I, I don't think we can jump to that conclusion. I think why that not? they're doing, because I think that they're doing it in their, uh, in a time frame that works for them. But their time right? frame, though, though, Daryl, is what's left the gaps open for the provinces to step in and, and do no, their no. own thing. Okay, so, so let's break this down in kind of three chunks, okay? Sure. So the first chunk is, Normally in every industry, the feds, especially when it comes to GMP manufactured products, have uh, regulations that deal with manufacturing and usually leave distribution to the provinces. Okay. In our case, the two ones that make the most sense and, and have the most like to our industry is cannabis and alcohol. The feds manage the manufacturing regulations and the provinces deal with distribution. What's changed is, and you and I talked about this earlier in this interview, was perception is reality. So what happened was vaping became a runaway train. Health Canada is not going to put out regs that they don't, um, that they can't um, uh, articulate in a legal way because they're they're as worried about lawsuits as anyone else. Um, so they took their their time, but meanwhile, every soccer a parent or someone who has a concern about vaping or or seen the kids and, and we got to own a bit of this vaping around the back door of uh, of their high school that happened mm -hmm. right that those are real things so that that perception then became the reality and then the provinces started to jump and they're pushed by media as much as anyone else and the i close it with this statement I'm watching as uh, as a Canadian what's happening um, uh, as it relates to COVID. I'm watching friends fight about whether masks make sense, whether they don't. I'm watching media with all kinds of crazy stories of all over the place. Uh, half the people agree on one pathway. The science says this, then the science says that. Science says nicotine is good for COVID, uh, but then you got to talk about the smoking, like it becomes so muddled at that level as sure. a comparable yeah. that we didn't realize when 
the industry had said, and remember, it's a young industry. Mm-hmm. Like it really is comparative to pretty much every other industry there is. Uh, the mom and pops and the small manufacturers were all about harm reduction. And they wanted to make it fun. And they wanted to make it so that people felt good about what they were doing and that they were reducing their harm. And almost like all of them were reformed smokers. I haven't talked to an entrepreneur yet in the industry that wasn't a smoker at one point in their life. Right. right? So we we saw this, but then it became a multi-billion dollar industry. It's a $1.2 billion industry in Canada today. I know. I know. Right. Which is insane if you consider where it was in 2016. So we became a target. True. And when everyone wanted the attention of government, government wouldn't pay attention to us. And we're like, hey, we're a harm reduction tool. We're doing a really great job. We want you to see the studies. But what you're finding is that regulations are going to have ups and downs. And I know every entrepreneur out there is like, this is how I feed my children and my family. And I totally get that. Uh, The best thing that we can do is continue to push for progress. And what we're seeing is Nova Scotia, uh, Brent, would not entertain a meeting, a phone call, Uh. a study, a report, a common sense approach, nothing. We might not like everything that we've seen in BC. There's lots of things there that I don't like. But what I can tell you is they engaged. There's continual dialogue. They've reviewed tons of documentation. Mm -hmm. They have an agenda. They're in control. But at the end of the day, if you took what our experience was in Nova Scotia or what we are going to face in Quebec, which is going to be scary, and then you look at BC, they've done a very good job. Don't like it all, but there's other provinces out there that are hell-bent on killing the industry, period. Done mm. the day I talk. Wow. I'm going to sign the regs, and you're over. And that's what happened in Nova Scotia, and we project some very tough times in the province of Quebec, similar to what we see in Nova Scotia. So let's, uh, and oh, let me just ask you about Alberta. Is it as bleak? Do you see a future as bleak there? Because the, the government's a bit squishy. We, can, we know that. Actually, um, I, uh, I think that the, the government in Alberta has really uh, stood tall, uh, you know, to the point where these 26 doctors, uh, uh, unbelievable to me, these 26 doctors asked the, um, uh the um lieutenant governor general to not sign the vaping bill that came through from the alberta government so they the 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 doctors and the cancer society and they want to suspend parliament or parliamentary procedure completely and take away the power from the premier the minister and the elected officials from all of the people in alberta and said like listen these guys obviously are out of touch. They don't know what they're doing because this is, should be a nanny state. And let's suspend democracy. <laughs> right? You know, in the middle of COVID uh, and what they've done, public health, it, I mean, I'm not surprised. There's nothing surprising there that they want to just Yeah, well, it, it, it wasn't public health. It was, uh, it was the doctors. But the problem was, was it was endorsed by um, 
the chief medical officer, which is a huge concern, but it was ignored. It was well, completely ignored. You know where I stand on this issue. I believe muscles were exercised during epidemic and vaping related lung illness that were then used in COVID, whether they're connected or not, they were muscles that uh, government and, uh, and nanny state yeah. warriors were using. So let's jump for a and, second. Go ahead, Daryl, yeah. and then we're going to go to this. No, uh, no. Okay. I just, I just wanted to be careful. I'm not comparing COVID and vaping. No, like, no. I need to, yeah. Yeah. All I was saying was you could see the media hype really push decision making, right? Sure. And I'm not advocating for masks or against masks or for social distancing or whatever. I, I'm not a clinician. I don't know what the hell I'd be talking about anyway. Uh, to, and well, you know, I, I, I mean, like COVID's like stinging nettles. You know, you just try, you try to stay away from it as much as you can in a show, unless, unless you're doing something yeah. at like two in the morning, you know, on a Saturday night on YouTube, you know, <laughs> unlisted. <laughs> Anyhow, okay. So we've got we've got a uh, clip queued up from Monday, I believe. I'm pretty sure it's Monday. Um, the CTV uh, on the island, Vancouver Island. So we went straight to the heart of you know progressive you know, hippie people that, uh, you know, all on the island. So let's have a quick take of this. One sec. Hopefully the audio will work. And no, it's not. That's... BC launched a widespread assault on vaping. Okay, so I'm going to just stop it there for a second. A widespread assault on vaping, the BC government did. And now to, you know, take the other side here, to take kind of the rosy look at things it certainly wasn't an assault on vaping in terms of as bad as it could be but it's being framed still for the viewer as being you know very draconian let's go back to listen here COVID-19 crisis, the province is about to take aim at another health care emergency. Today, BC launched a widespread assault on vaping, especially when it comes to youth. CTV Scott Cunningham has more on some industries that say they're being unfairly targeted. Okay. Grape is always a good flavor as well. Whether you're going for flavor or just the kick of an e-cigarette or vape. The buzz in BC is about to change. Nicotine in particular is highly addictive. And what we've seen is an aggressive campaign over time to, uh, to promote the use of uh, vaping products among youth. In one of the most forceful moves against vaping in Canada, BC today enacts its vaping action plan. Even young adults, not necessarily kids, but young adults are winding up in hospital with lung damage because of it. At its core, it caps nicotine levels at 20 milligrams per pod, the same as 20 cigarettes. Non-nicotine and cannabis blends are banned. Advertising is prohibited anywhere a child could see it. Flavored products must be sold in vape-specific shops and it launches a large youth education program. And all of this is to say that students in BC that want to make healthy choices have the resources they need to talk to the people around them about vaping. As BC health officials have seen at least three serious lung illnesses related to vaping, stamping out youth smoking is a key focus here. Hey, I hang out with kids who vape and they're always like, oh, what flavor? Oh, it's mango. It's like, oh, that's sick. What are some of the products that are restricted that you're already selling? Uh, well, we sell tobacco, we sell lottery in some provinces, we sell beer and wine. Not everyone is pleased by the vape crackdown. An organization representing Canadian convenience stores is disappointed with BC, 
saying corner shops should get the right to sell flavored products. We are proven responsible retailers. We have a strong track record of selling a whole host of age-restricted products. It has a lot of really good true fruit flavors. Meanwhile, wow. vape-only stores with ID policies are pleased as they will soon corner the flavored market. There's nothing to be sold in a vape store that's for anyone under the age of 19. While there may be a retail rift, BC's tough on the puff legislation is in effect today, with some shops getting until September 15th to clear out restricted product. Scott Cunningham, CTV News, Victoria. So there's a bunch of things there, Daryl, for us to chat about. What are your thoughts overall in a piece like that? Because you certainly have seen a lot of pieces and been involved in a lot too as well. Well, yeah, I, I look at these uh, close to an hour and a half to two hours every day from coast to coast. Um, if I had to, if I made a dollar for every lazy report that I've ever seen, I would be a very wealthy man. <laughs> but if you, if you start breaking down uh, what's there is that vaping has an amazing viewer rate for media. I get all the reports and, and, and really break it down. So for them to really focus on what they focus on the, this full time is like, oh, we got to talk about the youth and mango and, and, and the flavors, never once mentioning the fact that the minister highlighted harm reduction. The minister highlighted for adults, uh, for adult use, and therefore it should only be adult access. Right. They, they chop it up and then, you know, they'll find someone uh, and Brent, like sometimes my interviews go 20, 25 minutes and they'll use the one sentence that fits their narrative. Sure. Right. Yeah. The media is very anti, um, uh, very anti vape. I'm going to harken back to what I think was really one of the most important uh, things that I would like to leave you and the listeners with is this. It's not representative of the response that we've gotten back from the government. If they banned flavors, they would have got kudos from the Canadian Cancer Society and from, you know, uh, uh, all the health advocate groups, pick whoever you want. This is what's going to save the children and not talk once about the impact it's going to have on adults. So. I think when we look at the regulations that they put through, this, this is what that government believes is going to have the best impact on youth. So, and, and so, if, if uh, I if I get that right, it's that the opportunity to have won lots of brownie points with a whole bunch of people that are loud and have influence, i.e., you know, doctors and public health. Uh, yep. employees and, you know, nonprofit health groups and parents and teachers and all of the politicians and everything else. So, I mean, it, it would have been just an easy win for the BC government to have just banned flavors like Nova Scotia had done. Um, yep. Yeah. And taken that and taken that and they didn't. And, and by not doing that and mentioning harm reduction so clearly from the minister, that has some daylight there. There's sunlight there. There is something there. There and the opportunities are growing. So the other thing that the, that we're seeing is that 
as the industry is becoming more technical, uh, like, uh, for example, uh, marketing regulations coming down from the feds, labeling um, regulations coming down from the feds, the provinces are now reaching out more to say, how can I, how can you help me understand my goals as the, like as a province and make sure that they align with the federal regulations mm-hmm. because they, they do this stuff all the time. So they realize they could put something into law that if it, if they can't supersede the federal law. And yeah, and in the end too, they don't want to get sued, right? Like, why? Why isn't CV, why isn't CVA suing the BC government? Is there is there not enough there to sue them, or is it just lawsuits as we've seen in Quebec are just horrible? So uh, I'll break down. I get this question a lot, Brent, and actually, it's a really good question. So thank you for asking it. Um, so you know that we work with a series of constitutional lawyers across the country. Uh, I've had certainly uh, a decent amount of experience with constitutional law in my career. Um, one of the things I'll tell you is that a injunctions are very rarely actually successful. Like we're talking one in a thousand. Okay. Yeah. Two, when it comes to the constitutional portion of the law is that if, what did they take away? Right. You have to be able to prove that over 20 milligrams is going to have a negative health impact on people. And you have to prove that in court, which means studies, scientific proof, uh, peer reviewed work, all of these things that don't exist. And we can't pick and choose what we like from the UK. The UK has 3.5 million vapors, huge success at a 20 milligram crack. Right. So if it's so, a harm reduction argument, you would have to be arguing that 20 milligrams is detrimental to harm reduction and it has to be more. And then you're arguing in the weeds on harm reduction and more nicotine. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And the only the only country that's got behind the research is the one that has 20 milligram cap. Right. So now, right. So you're that law or to be able to challenge that in, a, in an illegal platform is extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, what's the difference between BC and Nova Scotia? Nova Scotia is that you can present a very strong case that says that flavors are a key element based on these specific peer-reviewed um, uh, uh, peer-reviewed studies. So, and then the last piece people talk to me about all the time is taxation. If you take the time to research cha- legal challenges and constitutional challenges around taxation. They have less success than anything. Like uh, the judicial is very careful not to to mess around with taxation. Um, And so, you know, it's not just because their opinion differs from yours and they're like, okay, I'm going to raise $300,000 and then suddenly everything's going to go my way. Brent, we're in what, our third, three and a half years into Quebec and we still aren't through the appeal process. Yeah, we had a win. I mean, I use we obviously. It was a, do you know, not only was it a con, the first uh, constitutional win for vaping uh, globally, but it was the single strongest win for harm reduction in Quebec history. Because I've been trying and got the legal team to try to find another harm reduction uh, argument to help support ours and prepare for the uh, the event of a flavor ban. And when we went through it, there was 
the the strongest win for harm reduction in Quebec history was actually our own case. Let me uh, jump us here, Daryl, to a couple yeah. of because we're getting close here on the end, and I've got a couple of killer questions I want to ask you. Is so before we do okay. that, I've got some viewer questions here, and uh, and I want to thank our senior producer Cindy Schmidt for passing these along. Um, so. So two questions here, and so I'm going to ask them both, and then you can give us a quick answer. So and this is from a question from FB. Confectionery and dessert flavors, are they completely gone? And then the second question was to clarify the two mil limit. Is that closed pods only, or is that for tanks too as well? So confectionery and dessert flavors, are they com completely gone? Confectionery is because that's you can't have confectionery um, based it, on... It, yeah, they follow the federal guidelines. But what about dessert right? flavors? Like, I mean, is dessert to totally gone too from federal? I can't call if it was labeled dessert. No, no, it, it, they're not. And, and there's no definition of it. So right. it, to answer the question directly, uh, and Brent, I'm happy to come on the show in a couple of weeks to, to help people with this. Um, there's not a lot of definition right now. Right. So within a couple of weeks, I will have more definite answers. I'm not concerned about any flavors that aren't um, – uh, I'm not concerned about any flavors at this point. Okay. Where I think the language that needs to be changed on the regulatory side, and, and there will be conversations about this, is they're really trying to get to naming conventions. That's where I think that they kind of misunderstood a lot of the information that they had. So I'm not overly uh, – I'm not overly concerned at this point. And then what about the two, relates, the two mil? Yeah. Yeah, so the two mil um, uh, pod and the two mil tank is currently uh, the spec that will be under the regulation. I think that there is a strong opportunity because what the the problem uh, and we're at, in conversations with the uh, with the minister's office on this and the bureaucracy as well is that BC doesn't have a big enough market to get childproof, so they're actually by going through this reg they're not going to be able to find the products to be able to supply the market. Um, so uh, we'll have a meeting hopefully uh, next week or no later than the week after to make sure that we walk through. So we don't just tell them things and like say, hey, go look it up yourself. We pull all the laws, we put everything into really detailed packages and it really helps at a bureaucratic level because that's what they're looking for because there are no... Um, uh, um, or sorry, those child-proof uh, tanks right now are law at a federal level. And as we try to work through them, we can't uh, negotiate that and with uh, with BC at the same time. So I think once we walk through it with them, they'll understand that there's um, uh, you can use exceptions, and they have that preview under the, um, uh, under the uh, ministry. So um, so federally, and the child-resistant uh, uh, tanks and and. Excuse me, was the next on my list, actually, as you could tell, because it rolls right into the next question. So what is happening uh, with that federally? Because there's a lot of people that are concerned that that particular uh, specification now that's been required is an industry killer. Listen, uh, I'll, I'll, again, I'll have to answer this in, in certain segments, Brent. Sure, that's okay. That, <laughs> that's, I'm uh, happy to ask the question more than once over the course of time. <laughs> Okay, so it's a two-pronged strategy right now, okay? So the first prong is that we believe that the federal government has got this wrong, 
and uh, we're advocating, but not only advocating um, on whether the you know the child resistant portion of it is even applicable. Because what happens if they cap it at twenty milliliters? I don't think that they understood what they were going for. So if they want to keep levels at sixty six, the reason that you go for child proof is because it is poisonous. Right at that level of nicotine in, in say like an eight mil tank, right? Sure. You tank you 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 uh you cap it at twenty, it's not poisonous. So what are what are we even talking about? Right. So there's there's a whole bunch of uh different uh sections that we have to fit together with them. Um and Health Canada has all of our uh questions and research in hand. So we're just waiting for a confirmation. I'm sure you'll want to do a session on that one too, right? Sure. When that when that comes out. But um, what I would say now is it's not in, on the second um, prong. Is that a lot of the international manufacturers are looking at child resistant tanks, anyways. So there will be products, not two products or three products. There'll be a a good selection of products. Um, as the industry leaders and, you know, such as Sam, right. Who's the largest importer of, um, uh, of devices to my knowledge. Um, I believe you're correct and, on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would guess like, I've, you know, I don't know everyone's market sizes, but I, I would guess that was Sam. So, but, um, if you look at that, if they're not going to leave the industry high and dry, like they're going to make sure that those products are available. Um, and so from from Health Canada's point of view, have they given us any indication that they're going to uh, change their mind? No, um, but they never gave us any indication that they were going to give out that guidance that we got either, right? And we've been asking Health Canada for guidances uh, for a year and a half. And suddenly now, at this point in time, and that was on the labeling stuff, Brent, with the mm -hmm. tags and everything else, yeah. right? no one could have seen that coming they never sent one before no so that is true and i mean they were kind of explicit weren't they uh in letting the industry know that they don't have the resources uh to commit to you know providing detailed guidance on all these issues with the, when it comes to the regulations so that was definitely a very bright light that came out of health canada with that guidance it one 100 percent. and mm -hmm. so i I like when I tell you I feel that the pendulum is starting to swing back. Like I, I, and I mean that. Like I really feel the thaw from what last winter was, right? Which was um, uh, almost the death stroke to vaping. Mm -hmm. I will tell you through through November, December, January, and February keeping vaping as a part of Canadian society was on a razor's edge. And now you can see the governments starting to uh, talk about harm reduction, asking for more specific guidelines, asking for more standardization, because that's what government does. So for the people in... Listen, I'm not under the misconception that everyone agrees with me and or likes me. But I think the, <laughs> well, I, well, I've got the same problem, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think what's key here is every industry we look at that's regulated is, is standardized. That's what they're going to go through. 
and it takes time. The automotive industry didn't get standardized overnight. Energy didn't get standardized overnight, right? But what happened was, um, and it goes back to one of your earlier questions, and we'll talk about specifically about marketing, is when we got in trouble is when every parent, and we know there's right and left in this country, right? Yes. Walks in and, and they see this stuff just jammed down their throats because when we're talking about cigarettes, you know, and, and you know, they played the clip, the clip about the convenience store association being upset. You know what? I'm upset with them. Mm. Right? Explain. My membership, it... my membership is upset with them because you know, they, they absolutely marketed this product like crazy finding users with no no education, no understanding of how to sell their product or really what they were in the business for. And the cigarettes were behind the power wall, right? Like that's one of the comments or one of the comments that the, the, the person made, you know, we have a great track record of, of, of uh, selling these products for sure. You have a great track record of selling cigarettes. Everyone knows that. Then they made him put, they made you put them behind power walls. And then when vaping came, you have marketed it all again, and then they make they're making you put it behind power walls. The difference is is that you put harm reduction at risk by those marketing practices, and you didn't give a sh- uh, give you didn't <laughs> care at all. You did not care at all. So the industry was not under attack until all of this stuff happened in 2018, and the feds know it. So in BC the retailers how bad is this going to be for the retailers in british columbia i don't i don't think it's going to be bad i I don't think listen it's going to take work there's going to be a lot of adjustment right but you know what uh my thing is ask the people in nova scotia the retailers in nova scotia how it's working for them so if you have to adjust right the government just came out and gave you a win anytime the convenience store association and their big tobacco partners come out and give you like this is wrong have a nice uh dinner with your family and go you know what that's okay so let everybody to let everybody know that we actually have uh, the ceo of uh, the ontario convenience store association dave bryan's coming back on the show um next week next tuesday um same time 7 p.m. Eastern, and we're going to be talking about it because obviously he's got a lot to say. And the Convenience Store Association that was in that CTV piece is the National Association, who's a competitor, the competitor, really, of associations. And um, so it's going to be interesting uh, to get his point of view. Uh, You know, I'm not going to, you know, preface too much to it, but, you know, obviously he kind of feels CVA, um, you know, uh, fought hard uh, for your guys' membership. And so... That's good. How is your membership feeling about where you've navigated or been able to fight on their behalf over the last year? And it's been a trying year. So, I mean, I'm not holding your feet to the fire. Simple question. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a good question. And and listen, uh, stressed, right? Stressed, tired. Um, and we're only at the start, Brent, like, uh, you know, yeah, Ontario went well. And now we need to leverage Ontario to get successes in, in other provinces. You know, um, but you think uh, the CVA members aren't preparing for a fight in Quebec? 
course they are. Right? This isn't easy. We're nowhere near out of the woods. That's why I'm saying if you look at if a government gives you an opportunity to continue the work that we've always done, like if they kept nicotine at three milligrams per milliliter, I'd be like, they don't care. It's it's nothing. They they don't they don't give a crap. What they try to do is model after the UK model. Now they've gotten a lot of aspects of it wrong. That gives us opportunities to get it fixed. Fair but enough. they looked at they looked at the harm reduction and said, "There's a lot of vapors over there and a lot of axe smokers, so we're going to do what they're doing." Yeah, and certainly the news out of out of the UK has been great. So let let's finish off. Um, what we're going to finish off uh, my last question, and then I'll and then I'll let you have kind of a final word to your membership and to the vapors out there. So, but before you do that. Here, I want to get into this one thing. So we're going to run for another five, eight minutes or something like that. I think it's really important to have a discussion with regard to BC's um, intended use of youth to bully other youth to quit quit vaping. And it's a, it's a key part of their strategy. It's from the moment they announced it in November. They bring it up all the time. They talked about it on Monday. They're very proud of their youth council. And they're really going to rely heavily on youth to police other youth. And to me, I find that I find that extraordinarily um, disgusting in my mind, uh, because we know the kind of information that's going to be fed to these youth uh, about vaping. And I mean, it's just poisoning the well um, of generations of people. Not to mention encouraging coercion from youth amongst other youth. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Brent, like that's so far out of my, uh, and I think that's state. a fair, that's a fair response, Daryl. Yeah. That's a fair yeah, response. It's, yeah. It's just, that's really loaded and I'm not a psychologist nor am I a clinician. Sure. Um, but here's, here's what I will sort of, and this isn't going to satisfy you or your listenership at all, but we get asked a lot about uh, about youth councils, and that's usually our answer, right? Like we're just that's not our areas of expertise. We're regulatory and um, and informational based. Sure. So, um, but one of the things that we do talk about is that kids start smoking at a young age, right? Um, I started. I actually started with chewing tobacco. I didn't start with cigarettes. Uh, both my brothers smoked uh, and chewed at the same time. Pretty gross. Wow. Uh, and but you know it's it's Berta baby, right? It's out <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. So uh, we were really addicted to to nicotine, and we used to get the Copenhagen from down in the states. Oh God, I remember blast, that. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That was back in the day. Yeah. God love Montana. So I use this experience in this conversation a lot with government to say. Don't assume that the person who needs harm reduction is 50. Right? When we when you really get down to it, is by the time you're if you start smoking at 13, 14, right? Like I did. I, I, I don't know when you started, Brent. I, I actually I I'll, I'll be quite honest with everybody. I'll let everybody know this. I was 21 
I started smoking for a woman. And oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. But anyhow, but so my answer to your question is this is that we can't assume that harm reduction doesn't apply to someone who's 18 in a province that's 19. I think that's an excellent answer. And, you know, from my end and stuff, it's not really whether, in fact, that answer did satisfy my question, you know, if funny, oh. funnily enough. And, but in, in, in when I'm putting that question to you, actually, I know that you're not the right person for that question. The right person for that question are the politicians that are, you know, instituting the youth councils and the advocacy groups that, you know, are pushing for them. So I, I totally get it. I totally get it. And I think that answer was fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And sorry, I don't want it to be the hard questions at the end. It's just, you know, they kind of, we kind of navigate. It's just the youth issue because they are so important in this whole thing. I think it, we also have to, at least RegWatch has to look at, you know, how are they being potentially manipulated or, or worked over because tobacco control has been doing that for 40 years. I mean, that's their bread and butter is is yep. working inside the high schools and, and creating these you know squads of you know of teenagers that <clears throat> aren't don't necessarily um allow their peers to just you know do what they want so let's move from that so as we're looking now and is where we're going to go definitely um i'm going to have you back on as soon as you've got some stuff that you want to share it's important i think that you're the only ones that are talking with government and so um, having that you know, pipeline directly to our audience, you've got that whenever you need it. And hopefully it'll be a lot more frequent over the next couple of months. And we have tomorrow, we have Dr. Chris Lalonde on from the University of Victoria. And we're gonna be doing you know, a whole hour pretty much. We'll talk a little bit about the BC regs, but it's really the whole hour on the research and talking about uh, Dr. David Hammond's uh, correction that he had to make on the smoking stats. Um, in Canada. Did you want to leave um, the audience uh, here with anything with regards to that as we were wrapping up? And we're going to obviously have that tomorrow with Dr. Lalonde. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want to, you know, we put out a very specific press release. Um, the, I think our opinion on this one, Brent, is it's a drop in a bucket. Unfortunately, in Canada, it's been a major driver in a couple of things. Um, how often does the C CDC put out crap and then uh, retract it three weeks later and no one carries it? The sad part about this is, is that this is an institutional failure and nobody nationally is going to pick it up or care. Right. So we're going to make a big noise about it. I sent um, this information to every MLA, MPP, um, member of National Assembly, and MP. Do you know how many responses I got? I'm zero. Zero. <laughs> uh, so it's, listen, we have to, as an industry, so I, 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 I'll go into my quote here, Brent, is that we got to stop attacking where we think we need to be justified and we need to do, and I know that the CVA has changed its direction a lot. We communicated more this year, Brent, than I think we have in our entirety as an organization. We are very active now. All I think that shows, positive. by the way, that shows. As somebody that watches CVA's communications, I can say certainly it shows. Yeah, right. And, and where we're going with this is let's stop feeding into defending ourselves because no one gives a crap. 
Like they don't listen to our defense. And we say, hey, look, they lied, they lied, they lied. Uh, everyone else is off playing soccer in the other field and we're standing there by ourselves where we get the attention and uh, we, we're starting, we went from a huge negative position in, um, in our analytics for communications to in the first uh, time in, in CVA history to a 12% positive rating from media on uh, responses. We've never, the best we've ever got was zero. By focusing on the studies that support, focusing on the positives that we bring. So my closing statement is, what can you expect from the CVA over the next six months? We're going to work with every government. We're going to communicate 10 to 15 times, uh, uh, or 10 to 15 times a week. We have now hundreds of media contacts that we go back and forth with, um, that we're going to continue to put out the positive messaging of vaping. And we're going to build relationships with stakeholders, not for the next two weeks, but for the next 10 years. And that's how we're going to make sure that this industry not only survives, but thrives. And that's what you can expect from the CDA. Well, that's excellent, Daryl. Well, look, thanks again for coming back on the show, taking some tough questions, explaining things for our viewers, and you're welcome back anytime. And just hang tight right there for me for a second. And uh, just for all of you out there, this is uh, th- that is it for Reg Watch. And before you head off, go to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. And consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy. Just dig in your wallet and find a few dollars and toss them our way. We're just approaching our fifth anniversary covering, covering vaping. The whole entire file just started in September five years ago. So if you do get a chance to give us a hand, that would be great. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.